Well, it's good to be with you here this morning. Uh, If you are newer with us, my name is Brian and look forward to looking at God's word with you here today where we will be in Nehemiah chapter one. So I'd invite you to turn into a Bible, whether a physical paper one or a digital one. Uh, And sometimes we say that if you've been around, we say that, you know, turn in your Bible too, turn in your Bible too. It starts to seem like I'm like Charlie Brown's teacher with the want-want because it's like either you're gonna do it or you're not. Uh, But this week, would be a great week to do that because we were actually gonna work our way verse by verse through the entire chapter and I can kinda get all over the place so it'll help you stay uh, put even if I don't, okay? So we're gonna be there so if you wanna grab a Bible here in the West Auditorium or those in the East Auditorium or online, that would be super helpful for our time here together. Uh, And as you turn to Nehemiah, what you're going to get to is the 16th book in what is 66 books that we call collectively the Bible. Uh, The word Bible comes from the Latin Biblia, which literally means book or books. And so Nehemiah is one book or one chapter in a series of books that make up God's story. And the unique chapter that God has called Nehemiah to, uh, Nehemiah speaks of it in his letter or his book, really his record of what God's doing in this way in chapter six, verse three. He says, in it, I am doing a great work. I am doing a great work. That is uh, the, the title of this sermon series, a great work, that as Nehemiah discovers the great work that we're gonna learn more about that he has called him to, it is a, uh, a preemptive, uh, you could say a prompt for us to discover what story God wants to write in your life for his greater story, that that's how God still works. That just as we're gonna discover in Nehemiah, the God of yesterday is still the God of today and tomorrow, and the way that God designed this whole thing And he could have done it a number of ways, but he chose to use everyday people like you and me to write our stories into his larger story. Uh, Later on, the Apostle Paul, after Jesus has come and uh, done his ministry and lived and died and buried and rose again, uh, the Apostle Paul, he says it this way for us in the age of the church. This is to us. He says that we, together, we are God's workmanship that we are created in Christ Jesus, as followers of Jesus, to do good works, to do good works, which God has prepared that in advance for us to do. And so as we discover the, quote, great work that Nehemiah has, we're gonna find within that uh, some prompts for the good works that God has called each of us to do in our stories for God's greater story. And so to get us up to speed on what's happening in Nehemiah, uh, again, it's the 16th book in 66 books. So there's 15 books prior, and it's kind of like if you just start reading Nehemiah, it's like you've been dropped into almost like a sequel to a movie that you haven't seen the first one to. So it's a little jarring and confusing. So I want to get us up to speed, kind of make us ready to see what happens so that we can understand what's going to happen in our lives with a little bit of history that leads us up to Nehemiah. Now, history can sound kind of like a boring topic, I know, for some, uh, but I've heard it said this way, and I think it's helpful, that when we look at the history, we are understanding it is actually his story. You see how I did that, that it's his story? We we say, seize the cheese around here. Okay, it's cheesy. So you can use that with your friends. You don't even have to give me credit. So when we understand his story, the history that God is writing, then we understand our place in it. So getting us up to speed, Nehemiah, here's the story. So our scriptures, the Bible, it starts off with the book of Genesis. We have creation, and then 12 chapters in, there's a guy by the name of Abraham that God says, I'm gonna bless you 
so that I can bless the world. I'm going to multiply your offspring like rabbits. He actually says like sand on the seashore, but we know what rabbits means, right? So he's gonna multiply them, and then they do. They multiply, and the uh, people of the surrounding nation of Egypt are not pleased with this, and so they enslave uh, the Israelites, God's people, to uh, kind of prevent them from taking over. And then we get to a guy by the name of Moses, uh, who, you know, it's let my people go. God works through him to free God's people. They make it into the wilderness, while in the wilderness there's a guy by the name of Joshua that takes him into the promised land. And there's a very important instruction from God. It says, when you get to this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, where you are gonna live in homes that you didn't build, in vineyards that I've given you that you did not plant, remember, do not forget, it is the Lord your God who brought you into this land, so don't forget him, don't forsake him, uh, or things will not go well with you. Well, spoiler alert, they do forget God, they do neglect him, they stop following his ways, and it doesn't go well. One of the ways in which they do that is uh, they say, hey, we want an earthly king. Uh, in other words, they've rejected God as their king, very sad, and they say, we want an earthly king so we can be like all the other nations around us. We want to be like all the other kids. All the cool kids have a king, so we want a king. So. God hands them over to their uh, wrongful desire and says, okay, here's your king. And the first king is a guy by the name of Saul. He botches it. The guy after him is a guy by the name of David who is actually the greatest king that Israel has ever known, a man after God's own heart. And he builds as part of his ministry or his kingship a wall around Jerusalem to fortify the city, to protect the city. Uh, after David becomes, uh, comes his son Solomon who builds the temple and Solomon we actually did a series on Proverbs that Solomon uh, wrote those. He was the wisest person who ever lived. But sadly, even though he started off strong, he didn't finish well. He ended up getting swooped up into women and idolatry, and it goes bad for him. And that trajectory continues with his sons. And his sons, they split the kingdom. They split the household. And so from there, Israel is split into two kingdoms, the northern uh, uh, 10 tribes of Israel, they keep that name Israel, and then the two tribes of the south, Judah, they are split in two, and then in 722 BC, Assyria uh, wipes out the northern kingdom, the 10 tribes, Israel, and then about 150 years later, Babylon uh, sacks Judah, the southern tribes of, the, of God's people. And so that's where we find ourselves in Nehemiah. It's been 70 years They've been exiled to Babylon, the people of God, and the prophet Jeremiah predicted that's gonna last 70 years, and then you'll be allowed to go back. And so that's where we find Nehemiah. Uh, they have been allowed to go back because Babylon's taken over by Persia, and that Persian king makes those allowances for them to go back. And there's three waves of, of you could say, like of people going back. And Nehemiah, he's gonna be the third wave. The waves before him has a guy by the name of Ezra, uh, who's a priest, and he rebuilds the temple, and things are like on the up, but as we're gonna discover, things are not all well because what is still missing is a wall around the city, that the wall that David built has been put in shambles, that the home that the Israelites, that God's people uh, left 70 years prior is not the same home that they come back to. And so here's why this matters, because we're gonna get to Nehemiah and it's all about, it'll seem, building this wall. And so what's, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about a wall? Well. In the times of the Bible, to not have a wall would be the equivalent of not having any protection, anything that you could do. That without walls, you might be a city, but you won't be a city for long. It would be the equivalent of, you kind of say in our day and age, like say you got a brand new convertible sports car. 
And you took that car and you loaded it up with all of your life's most valuable possessions. You drove it downtown, you took the top down, and you put the keys in the ignition, and you put out in front of that car just a big sign that says, free. That is the equivalent of having a city without walls. You might as well just giving it away. You might have a city, but you won't have it for long because you're just a sitting duck for any um, you know, kind of group that might come by, small or large, to take your city, just like they take your car if that's how you decided to treat it. And so that's the setting that we find Nehemiah in. And then Nehemiah, here's who that is. Who's this guy? Who's this guy, Nehemiah? Well, he's actually a whole lot like you more than he's anything like me uh, and that Nehemiah, he's not a priest, he's not a pastor, he's actually what uh, we might call laity or a lay person, uh, which is just a, another Latin word that means common person, as in not clergy, not pastor, not priest, which honestly, I've never liked that term. Uh, honestly, because it's not biblical. Uh, that the reality is that it shortcuts the design that Jesus has for you and me and all of us together to be, as it says in 1 Peter, a royal priesthood. Uh, Peter, who was you know, a key disciple of Jesus who started the church, uh, he says this about who we are supposed to be in his letter to the church. He says, you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you are God's special possession, that you, not a priest or a pastor or a worship leader, but you, every one of you, would declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That you are to bear witness, every single one of us, to the realities of what God is doing in his story through our stories. You could say it this way, that every person in the pew is a pastor. That is the way that Jesus' church is designed. There's not to be this delineation like we sometimes find it. And so you don't get to say, well, I'm not in ministry, uh, because it also says in Colossians chapter three that whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, because ultimately it's not man you are serving in whatever spot you find yourself here on the planet, but it's ultimately the Lord you are serving, Paul says. And so, whether you know, after this you go to a shift at the plant, or you are going out to the fields, or tomorrow you find yourself in an office, or maybe your job takes you on the road, or maybe you work from home, or maybe you are a teacher in the classroom, or maybe you're a student in a classroom, that wherever you find yourself, maybe you're retired and you're like, well, I'm at a retirement, so I'm not really, well, what a great opportunity to use your wisdom and experience for that part of your story to further God's story. That whatever season, space, place, opportunity that you find yourself in, it is an opportunity to honor God with what you do. To honor God with what you do. Uh, and so that's why I love Nehemiah, because he takes what he does and he turns his work really into worship. He turns his work into worship. And so like Nehemiah, how can you, a layperson, leverage your gifts, your abilities, your situation, your resources, and your story for what God wants to do to further his story through yours? That's what we're gonna discover throughout the book of Nehemiah, okay? So let's get after it. Let's see what Nehemiah has to show us. Uh, I already said we're gonna go through every verse, so we've got some work to do, so buckle up. Here we go, Nehemiah chapter one, starting in verse one. Here we go. It says, the words of Nehemiah, 
the son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was at the citadel of Susa, so he's in Babylon, okay, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah, so he's come back from Judah with some other men uh, for a report. And he says, I questioned them about the Jewish remnant, how it's going and how they survived the exile and how things are going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, this is the report, well, those who survived the exile are back in the province, but they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem, it's broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And so Nehemiah, even in the, I guess you could say in the midst of this good news of being able to return home, there's the bad news that their home is a heap of rubble with no walls and no hope for a city. It says in verse four, it says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And so as we look at this reality, the walls are torn down, and we're gonna look, again, a lot of Nehemiah is gonna seem it's all about building this wall, but make no mistake that even though you say, hey, what's Nehemiah about? It's about building a wall. It's actually not a story about building a wall. That the story is actually ultimately about not building a wall, but you could say Nehemiah bearing a burden that Nehemiah is bearing a burden, not for a wall, but for his people, in order to show the love of God in the love of his people, we'll discover that will come through the building of a wall. Uh, this past week, I ran across uh, a friend, a guy by the name of Dan Watkins. He's a pastor in the community. Uh, we both started out doing youth ministry here um, a couple decades ago now. And uh, he, I uh, ran into him, and I was sharing how we're preaching on Nehemiah, and he just like interrupts me. He's like, oh man, I, I love Nehemiah. Nehemiah is my favorite book in the Bible. And he said, I always love to start off teaching Nehemiah with this question. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? That that is the question that he loves to ask. Uh, what, you could say, what burdens you? What is your burden? And for Dan, personally, he's not doing youth ministry specifically now. He actually leads a ministry here in our community called God's Shelter of Love, uh, which is all about providing shelter and resources for women and children in times of need. And so that was, that is Dan's burden. That is what breaks his heart. And, and so I think he's right, that the question that Nehemiah starts with is what breaks your heart? Like what is your burden that God has placed or maybe is placing in your life? I love the way in which people right here in our pews have answered that question over the years. I think of one uh, mom uh, by the name of Tabitha at the time, uh, mother of preschoolers, started a ministry within our church called Mops, Mothers of Preschoolers, recognizing that unique stage of life that moms are in with little ones. Uh, this past week I was talking to a buddy who was at a family 4th of July party where uh, he doesn't have kids and he was with his nephew for about an hour, uh, kind of responsible for him, and he said, finally, I just had to go do the dishes. I'm like, you can do the dishes? He's like, yeah. I didn't even want to do the dishes. I just needed a break. He <laughs> said, I don't know how parents of preschoolers do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so uh, a tremendous ministry that continues now uh, for years in the life of our church. Uh, another couple in the life of the church, again, no pastors, no priests, just another couple who had a burden for marriages. And they started our, our marriage mentoring ministry. That wasn't started by any staff members. That was started by just a person in the pew, a lay person. Uh, and now that's a ministry that continues to thrive because they had a heart, a burden for 
broken marriages in our midst, uh, that they wouldn't get broken is really the best way of putting what that ministry does. And then even last week, we mentioned a couple in Life of the Church who had just recently gone through the fostering process and adoption process, and the burden they're feeling for just the administrative support that the foster care system seems to need, and they're working through how can we offer maybe some, you know, some filing, some organized, some paperwork just to come behind, just the overload that our caseworkers in, in those settings are experiencing. And so what breaks your heart? I love the way that Pastor Adam, uh, he posed this question in our Going Deeper Nehemiah study. Uh, If you're unfamiliar, uh, we talked about last week, there's a study to go deeper beyond what we can just cover weekend to weekend over the next six weeks uh, that you can do on your own or in a group, and so you can get a hold of that uh, on the website at firstdecatur.org, or there's actually physical printed copies at the Welcome Center that you can grab on your way out if that's easier. Uh, But Pastor Adam, he poses the question this way. He says, Nehemiah says yes. He says, yes to the burden, yes to God's restorative work, despite the significant danger and risk. And we're going to discover just all the risks of his own life that he's going to come up against Nehemiah. Uh, But he asks, what calling or kingdom work, what burden, what breaks your heart, that what burden, what kingdom work have you hesitated saying yes to because of risk or danger or delay? And so whether you know what that specific burden is yet or not, maybe that's here, you're like, I'm not really sure what that is yet. The next step for every single one of us, wherever we're at in that, is to do two things. We ended our time last week with it. Pray and act. That we pray and act. Uh, That's how we understand this whole thing works. It's God's work and God's working through us that, like, Peas and carrots, or peanut butter and jelly, that we pray and act. And the important thing is to focus on the and. It's not an either or. Sometimes I think we uh, just kind of subconsciously default to one or the other, that sometimes we just kind of only spiritualize things and we talk about it, or we have Bible studies or listen to sermons about it. Maybe we pray about it, but we don't ever act on it. We don't do anything. On the other side of the equation, sometimes we're just, you know, all gusto, all action, and don't stop uh, to encounter and seek the wisdom and the leading of God, and we are moving in our own then, limited wisdom, limited strength, limited power, limited resources. And so what we discover in Nehemiah is the and, the pray and act. There's this cadence all throughout the book of prayer and action and prayer and action and back and forth we'll see all throughout the book as we discover our burden, what breaks our heart for how God wants to be at work in our stories for his story. All right, and so this week we're gonna emphasize, we're gonna see in chapter one, emphasizes the prayer side of that equation, and then next week, chapter two and beyond, we're gonna see uh, the action side of that. So we're gonna spend some time on the prayer side of things today, uh, and I don't know about you, but prayer, it's one of those topics that anytime I hear someone's gonna be talking about it or teaching on it, I'm naturally drawn to it. And it's not because I'm like, ooh, I'm awesome at prayer, I love prayer, I wanna learn more about prayer. It's like the opposite. It's like the one thing when it comes up, and I'm almost like, oh, like, I feel like I probably should be praying more or I wish I knew how to pray more effectively or something. Like, there's always this sense of, like, there's more to come, like this bottomless pit of opportunity. And so Nehemiah is rich with some directives and some guidance as to how we can, you know, dig into 
uh, I think what we all would like to grow in and what prayer, what that looks like, how to do that, and how we can actually do it. So we're gonna see all throughout Nehemiah some handles that you can grab this week when it comes to maybe your prayer life, whether you pray like zero or a minute or a bunch. I think we're gonna see a lot in Nehemiah. So I don't know if you're a note taker or not, but this might be a good time to become one because we're gonna race through a bunch of different stuff that Nehemiah gives us that might be helpful for you this week, okay? So pray and act. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? Genesis 1, chicken. Same thing with pray and act. The first thing that we're gonna see, the very first response from Nehemiah is to pray. It says, when I heard these things, first thing, he sat down, he wept, and he mourned, and he fasted, and he prayed before the God of heaven. His first reaction, not his last resort, was to go straight to prayer. The second thing we see as a result of going first response prayer is the building of compassion, that his heart is breaking for, what, for his people, for what God has laid on his heart. It says he wept, he mourned, and then from there he fasted and he prayed. And so I think about that, like maybe again, you, you're not sure what is that burden you have. And maybe you're here and you're like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure what breaks my heart or what my burden is. So much stuff and you know, so many ways in which our hearts and our energy and our time and our prayers could go. Like, how do you narrow it down? Or how do you, how do you figure that out? Well, again, I would encourage you to, to pray that through. And a, a verse that will help you maybe with this, uh, this is a favorite verse among many. Uh, you go to Etsy, I bet it's a piece of wall art you can get in a second. It's probably on the side of a mug in your house. Uh, and it's this, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, that might seem like a strange verse when it comes to compassion and my heart breaking. This sounds pretty great, you know. Take delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Well, the reality is, I think the reason we like this verse is because the second half. Like, ooh, I want the desires of my heart. I want that convertible. I'm not gonna park it out front with all the stuff in it and I'm gonna lock it out. Like, I want, I want, I want the desires of my heart. So, okay, how do I delight in God in order to get the good stuff, this desire of my heart? Uh, well, maybe I can paint it this way or illustrate it. Uh, growing up as a high school kid, one of my favorite, you could say, delights of my heart, uh, and it still is, chicken wings. Chicken wings. I love chicken wings. And I uh, and a buddy of mine, a guy by the name of Dave, uh, in high school, uh, we just got our licenses, and we got a hold of one of those, um, some of you might remember this. Do you remember those entertainment coupon books? They were real thick, and okay, I'm seeing some nods. Okay, like the other service, service like, isn't that what the internet's for? Like, what, who's doing books and coupons anymore? Like I said, you know, back in the 20th century, 90-something. Okay, so the entertainment book, what it had, if you're unfamiliar, was just tons of what we might call BOGO deals now. There are tons of buy one, get one, buy one, get one, buy one, get one. And so we took that entertainment book, and we traveled all around South Carolina to find the best wings at a buy one, get one deal as the two of us went and took it all on. So all over South Carolina we went because our delight was in wings. And in case you're wondering, uh, Carolina Wings in Columbia, South Carolina is uh, the, uh, I would recommend, if you like teriyaki, they have like a teri hot. So it's like a kind of a perfect combination, best wing, that was the solution to all our problems. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, because our delight was in wings, we naturally then fed that desire to you know, gorge ourselves on chicken wings all summer long. And so in the same way, but obviously very different, when we delight in the Lord, 
what then naturally happens out of the overflow of what we delight in, it then shapes the desires of our heart. And so when we delight in the Lord, when we devote ourselves to the Lord, when we study his word, when we pray to him, there is this natural effect that then the desires that we have then in our heart are shaped by God. And so when it comes to the question, what breaks your heart, what's your burden, and you don't know, well, seek first his kingdom, delight yourself in the Lord, and you will discover his desires for your heart and will move you forward in that again because he's a God who, in your story, wants to write his bigger story with you a part of it, okay? So, what breaks your heart? What is your compassion for? Then you discover that in prayer. Okay, Nehemiah, verse five, he goes on to pray further. He says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenants, his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Here in this verse, we see that prayer is a form of praise. Prayer as praise. He says, God in heaven, great and awesome are you. Uh, It's uh, what we uh, call the Lord's Prayer, maybe. It's the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. How does that start? Hallowed be your name. It starts with praise. Holy be your name. So what you could do is call this in a statement, uh, reverence before requests. That we see Nehemiah, we see Jesus later modeling this, that we want to start with reverence before request. That we want to recognize the one to whom we are talking to before we start talking to him. And it's why every weekend here we don't have, you could say, this isn't a sermon service. This is a worship service that we take the time to worship him before we talk about him in a sermon. And so the same is true of prayer. Reverence before requests. That prayer as praise. And then, most certainly, coming out of that, requests. We definitely want to bring our requests to God, and Nehemiah shows us this. Verse six, he prays, God, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. And so Nehemiah, coming out of this reverence, he basically says, okay, God, in your awesomeness, would you leverage your awesomeness to be attentive to my prayer requests? And then out of that, verse six continues. He says, I confess. I confess sins of Israelites, including myself and my father's family. I have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you have given your servant Moses. And so in this instance, Israel, uh, it's their sin is the reason that they are the trouble uh, that they have found themselves in. And so it's here, Nehemiah, on behalf of the people, he is offering up prayer as confession. And I would suspect that the most missing part probably from the regular rhythm of our prayers that has arguably the most power to free us of what God designed this whole uh, Christianity thing to work on is the practice of confession. The practice of confession. Again, think about the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts. A big chunk of it. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those uh, who trespass against us, as we forgive those who sin against us, as we forgive our debtors. It's this rhythm of confession and forgiveness that the whole Christian faith between us and God and us and one another, it's how it operates, it's how it works. Uh, said it this way, I, I just love this illustration, it, it makes sense to me, better than the entertainment coupon book, but in the digital age, you could say uh, that when it comes to the Christian faith, that forgiveness It's not just, we've said, like I've got an iPad here, it's not just like an app in the app store, but forgiveness is 
you could say the operating system. It's the OS. It's how the whole Christian faith runs. It's forgiveness between us and God and us and one another. It is how the whole thing runs, okay? But that is accessed through regular confession of forgiveness and forgiveness to find that healing and freedom that comes with it, okay? Then from there, verse eight. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, and now he's actually quoting God's word back to God. He says, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me, this is the word of the Lord, and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, well, I will gather them from where they are and bring them back to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. It's interesting here. Nehemiah is saying to God, remember what you said, not because you forgot, but it seems that we have. And so God, remember your promises as I pray them back to you. You see, Nehemiah, he knew the promise of God to pray to God because he knew the word of God. He's quoting back from Deuteronomy, and it's why for us, being in and knowing God's word, the scriptures, who God is, the character of God, is essential to be able to know who God is, the promises of God, so that we can pray those promises back to him into our lives. And so we see in Nehemiah's prayer that we know the promises of God to be able to pray the promises of God in our story Again, as part of his bigger story. Verse 10. Nehemiah continues to pray about his people. He says, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed. And it's by your great strength and your mighty hand, Lord. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And so he's talking, this man is actually gonna be King Artaxerxes, which is uh, the, uh, the, the most powerful man in all the world, but we'll see in the days ahead uh, is no match for God's power, which is the last point of this prayer, that we pray in God's power. We're praying for God's power, that success in and of our prayers has nothing to do with our prayers, uh, which is very liberating because I think we all feel like, oh, I'm not sure I said it right or doing this right. But it's like, no, we get to come to him like as children, which means whatever we got, we bring, but he hears it. And success, if you want to use that language in prayer, is not dependent on how we pray. But as it says in verse 10, God, it's all about, I'm just surrendering it to your strength and your mighty hand to be hearing and attentive and answering this prayer, okay? And so that's the end of the prayer, but I've got one more bonus one for you here, okay? A bonus prayer that's not actually a prayer, but it's how chapter one ends. So if you look back at the scriptures there, the last half of the last verse in chapter one has this very odd phrase. So it's like, amen, and oh, by the way, I was a cupbearer to the king. Okay, great, like, what is that? I mean, it's just like this weird way, this weird, like, farewell. Uh, It it reminds me of... um, some of you might have seen this, a comedian, Brian Reagan, he talks about when you're saying bye to someone and you are going to say one thing and then about halfway through what you said, you've like shifted to decide you're gonna say another thing. Like you're gonna say, okay, uh, like take care, but then you know halfway through you've said the word take, but then all of a sudden you decide you wanna say good luck and then you do the other half of that one. So you say instead of take care or good luck, you say take luck because you might find some luck, and if you find some luck, you wanna make sure you take care of the luck that you find, because it's care, you know, you kinda mess it up, so. Awkward endings. That's what I feel like this is. We got this great, powerful, passionate prayer of Nehemiah, the power of God, and confession, and praise, and all the things he's gonna do, and oh, by the way, 
I'm the cupbearer to the king. What is that all about? Well, this is what this means. First of all, this is his layman's job, if you wanted. This is his everyday job. He is a cupbearer to the king, which it's not as lame a job as it first sounds. He's like, is he a, like a fancy waiter? Like, what, what's the deal? What is a cupbearer to the king? Well, in those times, a cupbearer to the king would have been the king's, again, most powerful man in the world. He would have been his number one right-hand man. It's what we might call the president's like, chief of staff. And so he is like there, he's gotta be knowledgeable, he's gotta be you know, well-versed in politics and all these things that are going on. He is, he is the right-hand guy. He's got the king's ear closer to anyone maybe except for his wife. And so the cupbearer to the king, one of those responsibilities and where it gets the name is that when he's eating and drinking with the king, he always eats first to make sure that you know, the food and the wine is not poisoned or so that you know, obviously that's a big part of the deal. So, Cupbearer to the king, that's what that means. So here's what that translates to. Nehemiah just doesn't have a job. Like, he's got the job. He's got the ultimate spot. He's at the top of the org chart, of any org chart that could be, you know, created. And again, he's not, he's not drinking wine out of a box with a spigot on it. I mean, he is drinking the finest choice foods and wines. I mean, he is living, he is in a palace, perfectly safe, all the comforts that you could imagine. And this burden, what breaks his heart, he is going to have the strength to sacrifice all that he has, not just in that position, but we're gonna see next week that it's a big deal to go to the king and ask to do what he's getting ready to go ask to do for his people. But it's because he believes that his story and understands is a part of God's bigger story. That Nehemiah 6.3, that he is doing a great work that God has called him to, to use the language later for the church in Ephesians, to do the good work that God has prepared in advance for him to do. And so for you, whatever breaks your heart, whatever burden God has placed on you, know that it will take strength to sacrifice. King David, remember greatest king, he said, I will not bring an offering to my God that cost me nothing. And so if it's a burden worth bearing, it will cost you something. It will cost you time, resources, most certainly convenience. But that's what we do for the burden of what breaks our heart that God places on our hearts. And so the reason we do this ultimately, but even with Nehemiah, I know we're talking a lot about Nehemiah, but Nehemiah and all the scriptures and the, you know, the books of the Bible, they all lead to the one who would make the ultimate strength to sacrifice. And that's Jesus, who didn't just leave his cozy place in a palace at the risk of his life, but left his perfect place in heaven to give his life for the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be given the gift of a new life. Who came to not just build temporary walls and gates around a city that would keep a city safe for a season, but who came to give us, you could say, a wall of salvation. Uh, with gates that we're supposed to open up to allow people to see the light of Christ that they too may come in and experience in Jesus what we have experienced here as part of his church. And so to that end, may I pray for all of us as we discover what it is that God this week will open up your eyes because every person in the pew is a priest, a pastor to do Colossians 3.23 to whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the reality that even in Nehemiah, 
we are pointed to the ultimate example of Jesus, that we see in him that we can find what it is that breaks your heart so that we can then receive that burden by the power of your Holy Spirit to make and do what you've called us to do. God, would you lead us this week as we make these prayers, as we put our hands on some of these praise and confession and realizing what it is that you called us to, that you would lead us, that as we continue through this journey, that we're not just preaching sermons and singing songs each week, but we're going somewhere. And that in each and every one of our stories, you're grafting us into your greater story of what you wanna do and have us be a part of it. So lead us this week in our prayers as we move forward in what you've called us to act in. In Jesus' name, amen.